Hello there, my name's Julian Clary and I've been asked by these young people behind me here to come and apologise for the next hour of so-called entertainment. So sit back, rest your eyes, have a little doze perhaps, and uh, I'll see you later on. Thank you to the Ted Hamilton Experience for your rendition of our theme and welcome to episode 15 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. I'm running out of breath every time I say that sentence. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel and Kim. Hello. Hey. And we'll cut straight to the chase. We have a very special guest who is a host of a Rational Fear podcast, gold-plated, gold-medal award-plated, I should say, and also at the star of, uh, I don't know if he still wants to be associated with it, the Ronnie John's Half Hour, <laughs> Hungry Beast, an extra for looking for Alibrandi, and most importantly, a kid on Romper Room, and also known for asking the tough questions. Sir, what do you think? Is gnocchi, pasta or potato? <laughs> It's Daniel Lynch. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's you know it's such a great privilege and an honour to be on this show. Uh, I've loved the Late Show ever since I was a, a ten-year-old boy in primary school trying to look at things very late on TV, uh, late at late on TV, and uh, I loved it so much that I thought I'd share something with you. When I was uh, about year five or year six, um, my parents got me this for Christmas. Oh, oh. Late Show cap. It's a late show cap, a genuine butterfly. You've got one too, Alison. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Alison's holding up hers. Oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah, so, uh, it's, it's complete with uh, like quite a bit of roughage around the corners because so I've had it. Yeah. Uh, I've had it for over 20 years and it's been in my parents' house for that long and uh, I've dug it up especially for this podcast. So it's, oh, it's great. It's great to have it. It's great oh, to wear it, an occasion to wear it. I actually wore this. I was the showrunner of a TV show last year called uh, At Home Alone Together, which uh, was hosted by Ray Martin. And uh, as I was running around uh, running running people on that show, I wore this hat. So it gives you a, a sense of authority when you're on set. It's, you know, people trust you because you're wearing the late show hat. Uh, so it's <laughs> absolute privilege to... Uh, Join your podcast. It is the, it's the show that got me into television. Like I, I wanted to be one of these people who was on this show called The Late Show doing this stuff. It's, it's kind of one of the shows that I was just completely enamoured with as a kid. And it was the show that made me go, fuck, I, if there's any way I could be a comedian on that show or doing a show like that show, then that's what I want to do. So, And I've been very fortunate in my career to have built shows similar to it, not quite like it but similar at least. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, what are we doing hosting this when you should be doing it? You sound like you're a bit more of a dedicated fan than we are. I don't have uh, the time to watch every single episode like you people do. <laughs> and I'm very happy that you do. I'm, at least somebody is watching it. And I, that is great. I mean, it's like, you know, um, Hey Hey It's Saturday has their own over-the-top platform where you can pay 12 bucks a month to watch Hey Hey It's Saturday. <laughs> um, Michael Hurst should really take these late show tapes and turn it into a over-the-top service where you can pay 12 bucks a month to watch the late show i'm sure people would do that as you said on twitter i think maybe about a month ago put it on iview put it on fucking iview <laughs> before we actually start dissecting uh season one episode 15 of the late show we actually have a bit of <laughs> Fat chat. Fat chat. Fat chat. 
we have a tiny little bit of feedback which was not prompted by us. And this was on the Late Show Champagne Comedy Facebook page. This is from Joshua Smith and he also he says, yes, thank you, uh, Daniel, for getting out your typewriter again. Uh, get on the Champagne <laughs> Comedy podcast that they are reviewing every episode of the show. So good. So that's... So thank you, Joshua Smith. Was that on Twitter or was that on iTunes? That was on Facebook. Wow. Yeah. So all I, have, all I have to do to get featured on this podcast again is say something nice about this podcast? Yeah. And by all means, please, iTunes as well, if anyone could. The amount of times I'd check it and I've gone, oh, we can't get past a 24-star rating. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Alison, you actually found something during the week. I was listening to the Malloy podcast about a week or so ago. And they had a segment on there. This was a phone-in segment. And you had to ring in and say what you would be wearing if you were in an open casket coffin, okay? <laughs> what your sort of, you know, final resting outfit would be. Typical kind of, you know, austereo callback topic. And anyway, this <laughs> Mick to remember something from the Lake Show. Jason's on the line. Jason, what are you wearing? The open casket? I'd be a go as Ronald McDonald, and then I would like you guys to bust in through the door that's a hamburger. I don't bust in the door as a hamburger, all right, but well, maybe we could be a Paul bear. Yeah, it could be Grimace. It could be six, six hamburgers carrying the coffin. Uh, here's one for you. What about, about B, what about B1 or B2? Oh, yeah. And you can be a banana, like you're in the banana suit, yeah, but, but you're slightly bruised. Mum and Dad to go with that. There you can, go. Can I just say, thanks, Jason. I, I said this is this mm. is a sketch when we were doing The Late Show. Yeah. We had a scene set in a morgue, mm. and I rang up a, the ABC department, Children's Department and asked yeah. if I could use the B1 and B2 in a sketch. Right. They said, what do you want? And I said, well, we're shooting a morgue, and in the background, <laughs> I want a drawer, a drawer coming out with B1 on it and B2 identifying him. <laughs> 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 the phone just went click. They weren't impressed. I wouldn't have thought no. so. So that's from the uh, Malloy podcast. And now here's the clip that they're referring to, and it's very visual. Let me show you why we've got a problem with this. These lacerations here. Yeah, well, we have to keep him down, like hold him using extreme force. 26 stab wounds to the abdominal region. Did I mention extreme force, didn't I? 5.33 caliber bullets lodged in the chest area. Can't be too careful. And what about this here? Where? You've nuggeted him, haven't you, Frank? You're like a I'm afraid we're going to keep you from resting. That's it. Come on. Right there. We used the coroner's report to compile this dramatic recreation of how the exorcism may have taken place. Now, that sketch was from Season 2, Episode 15, where it was all about exorcism. And as Mick and Tony left the morgue, Jason opens up the drawer and out comes one body uh, of a Mickey Mouse face out of all things and Minnie Mouse identifying Mickey. And yet they used that instead of B1 and B2. It's because they could, they could hire that. They could hire that. As someone who works at the ABC, let me tell you how difficult it is to play with those children properties, those children's TV properties. When we were on Tonightly, the TV show, which is uh, Tonightly with Tom Ballard, I was the executive producer of that show. During rehearsal, we went through, um, we made a joke about um, political correctness. We were, we were doing this kind of whole extended piece about 
uh, freedom of speech and the and anyway we used one of the windows from play school as a joke in the corner of the screen and it was like oh and what can we see through the round window and it had a shot of Tom Ballard with his finger up uh, <laughs> like middle finger up to the round window and then I got an email like as we were recording the show saying Dan, this is the head of children's television on ABC. How dare you disparage I've disparaged the, the children's icon play school. It's like, what are you fucking talking about? We haven't done anything. And it's like and so I, as the show was recording, I was trying to deal with this problem with all the ex, like the super high-end executives of the ABC, the ABC TV's head of television, head of children's TV. Uh, and in the end, I just said, don't, uh, "Don't worry, we'll kill the joke just so you can relax." Wow. But it was they are like so intense about protecting their intellectual property for children's TV that you can't even you can't even attempt to make a joke about them when you're even when you've got a job at the ABC. It's no no wonder they went for Minnie Mouse, which you hire at every single costume shop in Melbourne, no doubt. Disney are not litigious at all. (laughs) (laughs) We've got one more little bit of news, and uh, I believe in in regards to episode 14, someone visited Glenn Rowan, didn't they? That's correct. Uh, Long-time Late Show fan Tina Moreno, who... little bit of a segue here. He was my on-screen husband on the Joy of Sets um, Warwick Kappa home renovation sketch in 2011. That was uh, Tony Yay! Martin's show. Um, so that's where I um, I met Tino and I'm Facebook friends with him. Um, so he posted a photo today of himself and his wife at Glen Rowan. And I was like, wait, hey, tell me about this trip. So um, he basically sent a little bit of a video clip. <laughs> That's the laser and light yeah. display, or sound and light <laughs> display, yeah. The $2 million or over-exaggerated $2 million display. It sounds like a TV that's breaking. It sounds like a TV that's not quite working and might be an electrical hazard. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him about his verdict and he basically said it wasn't terrible. <laughs> he said the weird thing was that when it was over, you walk out and there was a room with a ton of Disney stuff, like mountains of it, no idea why. Uh, the owner chatted to us and said his son is running things these days and he, could, he couldn't find the wishing well. Um, he was hoping to wish himself out of the place. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it wasn't all that bad. Um, he said, um, basically, there, there, I asked if there were quite a few visitors and he said there were about eight people waiting for the next show after he, um, he encountered that animatronic show. Um, and they have updated the show because there's a bit of a countdown, a PowerPoint countdown from 2021 to 1880. So it means that someone cares enough to actually update the year each time it plays. Apparently there is an animatronic of a guy pissing into a bucket. Oh, that's new. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, that well, that's, that, that's, that's worth the price of admission alone, I reckon. Yeah, definitely <laughs> the highlight. Um, at the end, the decapitated head of Ned Kelly, at the end he wasn't sure if it was disturbing or hilarious. Um, but either way, $30 gets you in these days. Is it worth it? Wow. wow, that is steep. Got some quick news as well from the Tony Martin front. He's got a new book out or an audio book, which was actually selected articles from his now defunct Scrivener's Fancy website. He's now got it in spoken form and that's called That Said. In all my years, I've never once seen anyone wearing a toothbrush or to use its more common title, Hitler moustache, in any context outside of a comedy sketch or ill-advised office Christmas party shenanigan. In fact, as far as I know, there have only been five Hitler moustache wearers ever. 
Hitler himself, Charlie Chaplin, Oliver Hardy, Blakey from On the Buses, and Peter Sellers as Fred Kite in I'm All Right, Jack. No doubt there was some obscure South American tyrant or eccentric Norwegian balloonist who gave it a crack, but once Hitler made the toothbrush his own, it soon fell from favour. Just like colourful jumpers post Daryl Summers to cite another 20th century dictator... <laughs> that was from the sample of from his website, mrtonymartin.bandcamp.com. So pay $10, get a whole bunch of stuff from him. He needs the coin to keep his podcasts alive, really. He'll do anything for money. He came to uh, Sydney last year, uh, two years ago. We made a, a sitcom for Audible called Riot Act and it had um, it was Mark Humphreys, Evan Williams and I wrote it. It basically around the premise of what if a right-wing shock jock did a memorial to a Cronulla riot, um, but it got out of hand and became an actual riot. And so we, <laughs> so we, so we, we did this. It's basically uh, the Breaking Bad of a right wing shock jock. And we got um, Tony. We flew Tony Martin up to be uh, to be like the Neil Mitchell of of our world, and he was fantastic as a, as a radio shock jock, if you could believe that. So it was, and we didn't pay him much. We we paid him uh, we paid him in flights. And uh, and taxi fare, and I think a couple of hundred bucks that got him over the line. And you can still get that at uh, on Audible. Yeah, if you go to audible.com.au forward slash riot, you can hear Riot Act, and it's it's a sitcom. It's it's a feast for your ears. It's really good. And also one more thing, which is Judith Lucy's got a new book out coming out uh, called Turns Out I'm Fine, and that is due out uh, next month in April 2021. And she's got uh, a comedy show on at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival on April 17 and 18. So visit her official Facebook page for more. Other than that, uh, let's get into the program guide and where we have uh, Daniel. Can you please uh, recite what you have listed? Okay, so all of this comes from the Melbourne Age. On Saturdays, uh, they publish the Critics' Guide to the Weekend's TV, which is just like a regular program guide, except that Ross Warnicky scruples in the margins. So um, on Channel 7, we've got a 1988 Who Done It? Perry Mason and the case of the lady in the lake. Says Warnicky, a young heiress is murdered and her husband is arrested. But Mason, played by Raymond Burr, finds a web of intrigue behind the whole, of, uh, the whole affair with David Hasselhoff. On Channel 9, on Hey Hey, the guests scheduled to appear are Julian Clary, Jenny Morris and the Black Sorrows. Also, considering that the night this is airing is October the 31st, 1992... Like you, there's not a mention whatsoever in this episode of the Late Show about Halloween, which is which is kind of amazing, yeah. especially wow. especially th- these days when there's more made out of Halloween these days than there was back in the '90s. I assume that Hey Hey would have done at least some sort of dress up. So after Hey Hey is the 1979 adventure film Ashanti, uh, the first of a Michael Caine double bill on Channel 9. The other is the um, 1966 drama Alfie. Uh, says Warnicky, Caine and Beverly Johnson, they play husband and wife doctors working for the World Health Organization in Africa. But Johnson is abducted by a slave trader played by Peter Ustinov and Caine, with the help of William Holden and Rex Harrison, tries to get her back an unlikely cast in a slow and unconvincing yarn. Uh, then on Channel 10, we've got uh, Sean Connery's uh, sixth Bond film, Diamonds Are Forever, from 1971. Um, and according to Warnicky, one of the least appealing and most confused. <laughs> Bond tracks a... Dry- 
Bond tracks a diamond smuggling operation to Las Vegas, but comes across a suspicious nuclear facility in the Nevada desert. Uh, also starring Jill St. John and Lana Wood. And over on SBS, we've got a 1935 black and white French drama called La Bandera. A criminal joins the Spanish Foreign Legion. Hours of fun, that one. <laughs> And finally, on Channel 2, uh, the lead into the show is the second episode in the current season of Bread. Uh, then at 10 o'clock, The Late Show, Warnicky puts his um, critique in next to the listing. He says, two weeks ago, this live comedy show was hilarious. Last week, it struggled, unquote. Which I, I think that's a bit of a cop-out. I think last, uh, last episode was an absolute cracker. It's comedy, man. It's comedy, you know. Hit, hits and misses. Hits and misses. Not everyone's cup of tea. It, hang on, is this the first time he's actually said anything positive, albeit about an episode two weeks ago? And and also, I think last last week's episode, well, the last episode, he said something negative about it in the in the critique. So unless these critiques are written three weeks in advance or something, which they often are, from memory, two weeks, uh, two episodes ago was when it opened with the presidential um, debate sketch, which he really loved. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. He did like that one. After the late show at 11 o'clock, the season final of Sticky Moments on tour, uh, coming from Scotland. Then at 11.40, a 1980 prison drama called Brubaker. Says Warnicky, tough but in the end rather shallow story of newcomer Robert Redford's discovery of corruption and brutality inside a remote prison. Mm. Then at the very late time of 1.45 a.m., uh, we've got Rage featuring R.E.M. Yeah, it's very weird sort of having a, a movie on after The Late Show. All right, so that's it. Cool. All right, well, thank you very much, Daniel. And now we will get into Season 1, Episode 15 of The Late Show, broadcast Saturday, October 31st, 1992. And we have a cold opening with Julian Clary, who's jumped over from the Hey 8 Saturday studios to <laughs> say, you know, make sure you don't listen or don't watch the show. But he's there to promote his uh, Sticky Moments show. <laughs> Surely he gets to stick the boot in uh, saying that the D&D generation stands for dull, dreary and depressing. Yeah, he gets a, a fair boot in. Uh, most of the uh, crew is uh, standing there behind him and just sort of going, oh, thanks for that plug, I appreciate that. <laughs> they probably wrote it for him, though. They're probably like, oh, what's uh, what's a self-deprecating thing we can say here? They also appear to be on the play school set, which is a bit weird. It, well, it looks, looks a bit like a play school set. Uh, what What is that set? It, it might, might have been, been um, Shirty, the slightly aggressive bear set as well. It looks like the set that down the track that uh, Tom does, you know, if his life was a musical, which was which is yeah. in a future episode, yeah. Sometimes at the ABC, there are this, the play school set is often set up uh, or there are sets in studio studios that are available so if julian clary is like walking through the building uh and the publicist says oh you've got like 30 you've, you can have 30 or oh, 15 minutes with julian clary um maybe the simplest thing to do is to drag him down to wherever the set is and you can turn on the lights and just do something in front of a set um and that's kind of that's kind of uh we, that's something that's that's kind of how television works in that regard where you don't have a, a talent for like hours uh, and you've just gotten for such a small a small space a uh, bit of time. I'm glad I got you on this episode because you can give us the in-depth detail in behind what goes on just filming a show. Hey, no worries if you. <laughs> I'm also looking for a job, so you know if anyone's out there needs an executive producer, let me know. Now we have uh, Mick and Tony uh, singing, sing really at the beginning, sing la 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 la, and uh, they have that. They claim the loudest opening yet. 
uh, which they didn't expect to do the show as the end of the world was meant to happen. While well, they cut to Tommy G prepping the news desk and they insert a Sylvania Waters fat joke. <laughs> yeah, one of many fat jokes in this episode. Yeah, there's, there's too many in this episode, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I, I do like that line from uh, Tony saying, the Lord spake is saying, sat in badly. <laughs> And they also will go underneath the bonnet of uh, what's life like underneath the Liberal government in Victoria. Jeff Kennett's gone mad. Jeff Kennett's gone mad. Jeff Kennett's gone mad. Let's talk about the blockbuster movie 1492 coming out, and it's all about Columbus circumnavigating Gerard Depardieu, which is (laughs) one of the most (laughs) favourite name pronunciations that Tony has. And I I can only assume that Gerard Gerard Depardieu was in... 1492, and that at the time he was very fat because another fat joke right there. Yeah. Then there's a reference to uh, Cherie Paul uh, School of Grooming. So there's your uh, little different hairstyle and different concepts, Daniel. They said it was uh, that she'd had a hundred different aliases um, and from the look of them played all the roles in Prisoner. <laughs> she, she does actually look like one of those women who appeared in the opening sequence of Prisoner. You know, in fact, she she looks like one of the characters in Prisoner. There was a there was a character. I think her name was Nola, and she was a very very nasty woman who who'd actually been sentenced to death or something in in Western Australia, which was still the law. They they still had the death penalty in Western Australia back in the early eighties. Anyway, this this woman got killed by B. Smith, I think, in the end. Uh, Spoilers. So this is it, just plenty of court cases going on, such as Daryl Braithwaite uh, threatening to reform Sherbert, and. <laughs> Warwick Kappa, who uh, got off a court case uh, in regards to, and it's mentioned later on, a, a, a bit of a, a, an assault charge type thing going on, allegedly. So uh, even though it's from 1992. Yeah, other than that, um, Tony and Mick tear up photos of Burt Newton. Now, this one is reminiscent of Shanetta Connor from SNL from Saturday Night Live. Yes, right. So Yeah, because here is, this is the Shanetta little bit. We know we will win. We have confidence in the victory of good over evil. Fight the real enemy. And there's your mystified silence. Yeah. Yeah. How how anarchic is that? Yeah, that's when she ripped up the photo of the Pope live on TV. That, w- that would have only been maybe three or four weeks ago from memory. It was, October 3, 1992. Mm. Wow. There we go. What they're saying is that Bert Newton is the Australian equivalent of the Pope. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how old were all of you when this episode went to air? I was, oh wait, it was just after my birthday, so I was about 12. Yeah, me too, yeah. Yeah, I, I might have been one of the oldest. I was 15. <laughs> Me, yeah, I, was, I was nine years of age. I, I, I came into it a, a bit later, yeah. Wow. Like, And can you remember many of these public uh, or many, many of these current affair events as you go through the weeks? Yeah, yeah. I definitely I definitely remember the Sinead O'Connor Pope thing. That was huge at the time. And the end of the world as well. I specifically remember yeah. being in my science class thinking, oh, we're all still here and people genuinely were afraid at the time that the world was going to end. And I had friends that were attending the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert as well, so we'll talk about a bit later on. So so it's just a difference of of just a few years um, means that you just remember just that little bit more, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can, I remember the names, but I can't remember the the events. A bit like like Cherie Paul, like they uh, they they conflated Cherie Paul's court case with Daryl Braithwaite's, and you know, let's say that you know he went nuts and threatened to, to take all his clothes off and feigned unconsciousness and said he was four months pregnant, and obviously that's all reference to to Cherie Paul, but yeah, I, I I don't remember any of that. No, it's not until you watch <laughs> these episodes, and then when you do your research on it, you're going holy crap, that did happen, but I was so young, didn't understand it, and you realise how bloody adult or how serious these things were. Yeah, I mean, the, the Korean sect thing, I, I ended up looking this up, and they, they the sect was called the Dami Mission, so that's felt exactly like Dami Im, except, you know, so D-A-M-I. Don't, don't confuse the two, they're very, very different. Oh. <laughs> um, and be, because the, the members of this sect actually believed in this, the end of the world was coming, there was a woman who was seven months pregnant and she aborted her child. Oh, there was wow. there were three people who committed suicide. So, oh, so the consequences of this were extremely serious. But but also because all of these things are always financial, the sex leader, he actually defrauded his followers of four point four million US dollars. Oh wow. 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 So, yeah. And so he I think he he went to jail after the world didn't end and, and it, it was discovered that he'd taken all this money from his followers, he went to jail in the end. I mean, that, that, should, have, that should have been a red flag straight up. Like, you know, what do you need $4 million? The world's going to end next week. Why, are you gonna, why have you got $4 million for, buddy? What's going on there? Yeah. It's like you've got some insurance policy for some reason. It's like you almost don't need the $4 million, buddy. <laughs> So now we have the news desk with Tommy G and a lot of this stuff is quite visual. So I'll just chime right through it and I'll, I apologize if it doesn't really make sense like this podcast in general. So you have ACTU <laughs> chief Bill Kelty agreeing to a haircut and they have footage of a sheep shearing. Victorian <laughs> premier Jeff Kennett takes holiday with all his mates and they show footage of Kennett on an empty plane. Russian so- <laughs> Russian soldiers warned leaders not to dry clean their hats and they have footage of soldiers wearing very, very fluffy hats. <laughs> so um, now serious stories now with uh, pro- problems plaguing Boris Yeltsin. Colleagues are angry after he limits vodka at meetings to two, t- two bottles per person. And uh, he also attacks former... President Mikhail Gorbachev for spending too much money on microphones where they show footage of him surrounded by all these mics. Uh, you can see the genesis of have you been paying attention in this segment, can't you? you you're like, yeah. uh, right, I see. Like, Tommy's fed up with writing jokes. He'll just let other comedians to write jokes for him. <laughs> <laughs> other news, South Africa security forces took time out to practice for the West Side Story and it's just got them doing a gun routine. And uh, in Israel, soldiers are geared up for the opening of Lebanese duck shooting season. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's Israeli soldiers, soldiers shooting into the air. Yeah, that's yeah as I said, a lot of footage once here, so a lot of this I'm just trying to stream through as much as possible. But it still needs a... And Bosnia, Muslim forces running short of equipment and they show footage of platoon marching with plastic drink bottles. So that was... <laughs> it, it, it... I don't think I don't even think it was platoons. I think it was just people in Bosnia with plastic drink bottles wanting water, and you could hear the audience go, "Oh, yeah." You got a lot and of to- cringeworthy and moments. To- and Tommy G noticing, going, "Yeah, no, you're right. That was terrible. What are we doing?" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the federal government are under attack with changes to the endangered species legislation. They have fallen short for protecting animals, marine bird life, and Western Australian premiers. 
which I assume is funny. Yes, <laughs> for the context. <laughs> There was quite a quick turnover of Western Australian premiers, I think, in the early 90s. There were one or two corruption scandals over there, but I'm too young to remember them all. In Canberra, the National Gallery unveils its $3 million Picasso to the crowd and then it falls off the wall. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, and did we did we notice the cameo from Annie Marva, of course, and, and I think two possibly two other women who were on, on the crew of The Late Show, but definitely Annie Marva was amongst them. Oh, right. I love you guys because you guys know everybody who's on the crew and you get to see in quick succession uh, the regular appearances of the cameos of the crew. That is brilliant observation from you, Alison. Well done. Industrial Relations and the Federated Union of Magicians Assistants are threatening a walkout. And they cue the spokesperson, which is the beautiful Wendy, that's Jane, in a very uh, piss-weaker assistant style, very stilted. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll let you guys talk about this one. Yeah, she she really uh, puts on a, a great bit of acting there, I think. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a, it's a great little sketch and it's um, a very simple kind of uh, news correspondency kind of piece. And I, I, I don't know where the knife came from. This knife gets thrown in. <laughs> yes. I don't know whether it comes in front of her face or comes from behind her. Did you guys notice that, whether whether it was actually thrown in or whether it, it appeared- looked very oh. real. Oh God! It looked really real. Yeah, I, um, and she didn't flinch. So if it was, it was genuinely thrown at her. Well, well done, Jane. Looked like mm. an Aaron Bocare specialty. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not definitively sure, but yeah, I reckon it probably came in from behind. This is my favourite bit. It's mainly the attempts of her trying to sign off on the story. We'll be disappearing. Oh really? Hey, presto! No. Sim Salabim! Yeah, Wendy, uh, I'd, I'd leave it to professionals. Shit! No, I can't. <laughs> One of the lines um, that uh, the beautiful Wendy says is very pertinent for today. Yeah, talking about, you know, like uh, whether the, the magicians treat the assistants well and uh, that, you know, at first uh, they give you canes what has flowers coming out of it and white doves and stuff, but underneath that it's all hands and rope tricks. Uh, Nothing has changed so, yes. in all that time. So, yeah, a bit of hey, presto, me too there. In America, a few days left to the election and President Bush increases uh, popularity with karaoke night and they show footage of Bush and with uh, Rob singing as Bush. Clinton also agreed to sing and this is yeah, footage of uh, Clinton with an African-American dubbed ebony and ivory i don't know who was the actual person so i do apologize yeah i don't i think if they had that time again they probably wouldn't do that joke no no i think it'd be pretty apt that yeah bush would probably sing like a rhinestone cowboy i'm dusting off this sound effect but do you think it's a A product of its time (laughs) what what an incredible sound effect that you actually have on hand whilst discussing this program that is a genius idea. <laughs> There's an entire song as well. Have oh, you heard? You don't want to hear the song. Version, uh, no. <laughs> it's brilliant. No, uh, email it to me so I can ignore it later on. Yeah. <laughs> Royal news: The Queen has arrived in Ireland for a goodwill tour, and she's greeted by an Irish admirer. And this is a classic cutaway footage of uh, you know a <laughs> visual joke, really, of uh, flowers with a bomb attached. So that's. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a slight retread of the die you old bag queen mother. Um, yes. Yeah. There was the, Alison, that was exactly what my, in my notes say. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen this joke before in the best ofs. And yeah, I, it's great that it's coming back. Like, and it took me a while to go, oh, Ireland, why would Ireland want to blow them? And oh, the IRA. Like, it, it's been so long. I actually had to 
think really hard about why that joke was funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fat joke there too coming up, which uh, in England, Charles and Di uh, sat seven seats apart at the Royal Gala concert and the space was there because the Duchess of York was going to show up. So. Oh, God. Yeah, put your pedantition there. Yeah, if Tom has to explain the joke, See, because she's and he, he does this sort of widening gesture with his hands. Yeah. Customs are testing beagles as sniffer dogs for airports, and they have Santo as the security officer who's tried golden retrievers, didn't work because, uh, but you know, if you do try to bring in socks, you're done. Uh, German shepherds were tested too, but they're a bit overzealous and cure a dog with a se- severed hand. Yeah, there we go. The cast members' dogs also cameoing again. Music news. In excess, music clip banned because it's too raunchy. The music clip taste it will be edited down and turned into a special hosted by Doug Mulray. And you know what's, you know, you know what's funny about Australian media is that people are still making Doug Mulray cancelled jokes in 2021. Like, people are still doing that. Like, as if people remember uh, Australia's Naughtiest Home Videos exist still in 2021. 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. We all remember it. Yeah. It, made, it, it made such a lasting impact just for, for being so infamous. Well, it's every time that those news sites uh, do an article, say, on a show that's just been axed. So, you know, if they decide to end up axing uh, Holy Moly and Ultimate Tag, then they'll do those shows that only lasted one season and then bam, Doug Moray will be on there. It got pulled halfway through the episode when <laughs> Carrie Packer called up and said, pull this shit. Uh, it, I, I asked Andrew Denton if um, Doug would come on a rational fear or do anything, and he's like, no, he's a, he's hermetically sealed. He doesn't do anything anymore for anyone. I think that might have been one of the things that ticked him off and was like, I'm never going to do anything publicly ever again. Good news is that uh, even though uh, Channel 7 and 10 uh, wouldn't show it, uh, it does look like it's available on YouTube. Doomsday news, and according to a Korean sect, the world was meant to end on 2 a.m. Thursday. And the Late Show cast gathered at the time to see if it ends. So the rapture happened in the form of Dennis Walter. And they couldn't get out of their seats. Yeah, exactly. I assume that's someone famous. I guess that's someone famous. I guess that's the joke that somebody famous is coming in to sing to them. You don't watch the girls in candlelight every year. He's usually there. Is he like a Melbourne identity? Is he like a Melbourne celebrity? He is as well. In fact, at the uh, right uh, now... Well, not right now, but um, uh, he does the night show on 3AW. In the early 90s, he hosted Kino, and they used to take the piss on Fast Forward, didn't they? They had Jeff Brooks in the kind of the blonde kind of wig, the sort of Ray Martin sort of hair, the helmet hair, which is what Dennis Walter had. And, yeah, I'm I'm kind of amazed that uh, Dennis Walter agreed to have the piss taken out of him in you know, in this way and you know, basically say that you know, we, we, we reckon uh, listening to you is like going through hell. <laughs> I'm sure he yeah. enjoys the publicity for that. If you pay someone enough money, they'll turn up, won't they? Yeah, exactly. Or or not, you know, people just will do anything to remain relevant, even come on your podcast. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now to the lounge, and Mick and Santo are on stage talking about how they went to the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert, and Mick got a stamp tattoo. Ow! (laughs) You know what? Ow! Ow! You know what really disappoints me, apart from the way that went down? You know what really disappoints me? Back in 1992, Red Hot Chili Peppers, they were pretty mainstream. Um, you know, previously I remember watching them at 4am on Rage and then Under the Bridge came out and it was all over the commercial radio stations, etc. Um, they actually played in um, 
all around Australia. But this show was actually um, a postponed show. It was originally um, way back in May that they were supposed to be um, playing. And then one of their, their guitarists unexpectedly quit the band and they had to postpone the show. So I actually had a video clip of my 1992 Year 10 walkathon where <laughs> some of my friends had actually um, were meant to see Red Hot Chili Peppers that day. Ah, did you ah. know we were supposed to go to Red, Red Hot, Hot Chili Peppers, Peppers concert tonight, but, but we missed out and now we're going on the 9th of October, which is 147 days away. Thank Elizabeth you. Oh, Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so they were so they were some of my U10 classmates who were highly disappointed at not being able to um, go to the show, um, but they did actually end up going to the show 9th of October, which was a couple of weeks before this um, episode aired. I guess they were just making their way around the country. Um, their memories were basically um, nearly getting crushed in the front row during the support act. They were mind you, these are 15 year old girls, so they had to be dragged out by security, and then they were enjoying the gig just from the sidelines at the Horden. Um, which which they enjoyed. Um, there was also this other incident, which um, which I don't really remember, but they did actually meet up with Anthony Kiedis, um, and they took some photos with obviously a film camera, and there was the camera malfunctioned. So I don't know if they actually ever did oh, get to meet no. them. Um, I like to think that it was true, <laughs> and the camera just didn't work. Um, but yes, that was a slightly slightly older than you guys when the episode aired. Kim, what a privilege to have these awesome memories. Like that's that's so cool. Yeah, the the fact that I had a video camera and not many people had this type of stuff, you know, to, to bring to school to actually have um have some of those memories is really good because it was prior to social media, of course. Um, yeah. now everyone now everyone can record everything. So, yeah, I'm really happy that I actually have some of that footage. That's great. So, yeah, and then yeah, they played the clip of uh, Jace being Anthony and uh, pretty much Santo playing all other members of Red Hot Chili Peppers doing Under the Bridge, which we won't play because of copyright issues. Have you all been to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert? I saw them at a big day out in the late 90s. There you go. You're the only one then. <laughs> None of us have. <laughs> yeah, never, never seen them. <laughs> And we're back on the lounge again, and Jason and Rob are on the lounge, and Rob is ribbing Jason's painted-on muscles in the, from the music clip. Well, it's just funny. I was just looking at the Red Hot Chili's person. I, I thought that the lead singer would have a few more muscles than... Ah, funny bugger. Much scrawnier than... Funny bugger. <laughs> Let's talk horses, Robbie, shall we? He was a lot thinner. Yeah, Robbie, I think we'll talk horses. <laughs> Very Mate, scrawny Matt, Rob, on the... Rob, <laughs> Behave yourself. Behave Shorter in the leg. Rob! Yeah. <laughs> you guys support me on this? Okay. Okay, mate. Behave yourself. Yeah, Rob being complete yeah. arsehole to Jace. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's more, uh, I think Tony Martin calls it lingering at the scene of the crime. What's that? That ribbing about uh, the, you know, the the previous sketches and uh, sort of like point, pointing out uh, where things might have gone wrong or where things might have looked a bit weird. And Rob uh, couldn't stop thinking about um, yeah how scrawny Jason looked. Uh, but, yeah, this whole uh, routine is basically Jace going, giving Melbourne Cup tips which a lot of it fell or went over my head because I've got zero interest in the Melbourne Cup. I think the joke there was just that uh, Jason was throwing up everywhere. Wasn't that, wasn't that the simple joke? <laughs> That's <laughs> the simple pretty joke. much it. I do, remember, I do remember the horse Let's Elope, though, so that was a nice reference from back in primary school. Let's Elope, yeah, that was a famous horse. Yeah, I, I remember I used Let's Elope as a, 
as a joke horse name for for many years after that moment. You were asking before what what were some of the topical references we remembered from rewatching this program, and and that that for me also led to open some of the other real racehorse names were things that I suddenly went, oh yeah, I remember that horse. Isn't it funny how like let's elope is like is really sticky it sticks in your head and like if you're if you're 12 years old you have no idea what it means but you just remember let's elope let's elope was did, did definitely stick out and also there was one called what a nuisance because my dad put some money on that because it, it reminded um, him of our cat <laughs> <laughs> and he actually won from that so, so. that's probably the only times i've ever put money down <laughs> i think it's extraordinary now like to think about a show like this exists and us as uh as young people who were like 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 were glued to it at 10 30 at night watching these jokes and now kids today don't even bother to watch tv and it's like it feel it feels like that's never going to happen again it was such a such a precious moment in australian media history that like young kids today aren't even going to would never even watch a show at 10 30 at night there's no like they just don't care because they're, they're doing other things like it's just like they, not they, they, the- they would wait until it was all in bits on youtube the next day yeah that's right yeah and it, there's no show there's no show like it for them that exists like it i doubt that when they were making the late show they were they were making the late show for p- people who were 9 10 and 11 and 12 <laughs> <laughs> but it's strange that that show has had such an effect on those on people of our generation who who really want to really want to watch it engage with it in a way yeah it might i guess it made us feel like naughty and maybe made us feel like adults like we were trying to be older than we were and we were engaging in the world in in a way that as kids we can't engage with the world and maybe that maybe that was something to do with it maybe my daughter's actually the same age as as what a lot of you guys were when you were watching the late show but um she's now kind of watching old comedy companies so that's i'm trying to get her to (laughs) i'm trying to get her to, to watch a bit of the late show but i mean some of the references are pretty obscure i don't think you would understand a lot of these uh very timely kind of references of the time kim how long how long has she been watching uh, old comedy company like a couple of days or a couple of weeks a couple of days oh my god <laughs> couple of days. beautiful beautiful we'll move on to the next segment and it is Fun! the olden days and episode 15 front bottom without a cause and so front bottom runs through the mud fields uh basically being a rebel to the theme of Born to be Wild. Sergeant Alden gets jealous that Frontbottom's wild man image is going way too far, and Frontbottom's mother from episode 14 turns up. Marmaduke, this is a pleasant <laughs> surprise, my man. I'm sure it is. Park your arse. <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself, Bobby. You're looking at the new Frontbottom. Bad to the bone. That laugh is just amazing because you lose that on the DVD when you watch it of the olden days, but when you hear that live, it got a big laugh. Yeah, and, uh, it's it's oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, how much controversy there is. You you sort of skipped over the um, you know smoking a marijuana joint uh, on national television. There's also the weird um, reference to nude battling tops. Again, oh, yes. I think I think this is uh, another reference that is well well before my time. This might have been from the seventies. Front bottom blames Alden straight into the next scene because he, he's lost his battling tops, and this is where the continuously going out of focus joke keeps coming up. From memory, I think they just looked at episodes of Rush with the sound off, and yeah, I would say when you do that, you notice all the sorts of things you wouldn't uh, if you had the sound on, like people going out of focus. 
You've gone out of focus again. Nothing like a theremin, is there? No. <laughs> I was never a massive fan of the repurposed con- the repurposed video, repurposed TV shows. I never kind of – I just didn't – it wasn't my favourite part of The Late Show. Oh, I was going to say, if you weren't a fan of that in general, that means you wouldn't have liked Hercules Returns. I didn't. I didn't enjoy Hercules Returns. Oh. I enjoy. I enjoyed. I enjoyed Barjas though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, that was, but that was about it. That was kind of about it out of The Late Show oeuvre. <laughs> Next segment, and we've got um, one of our favourites, Alf Camilleri appearing, holding the sign for undiscovered masterpieces of the cinema. This bit where Tony is talking to Alf or trying to get a word out of Alf, but he's completely quiet. You've got to listen carefully to a certain laughter going on in the background. What exactly do you do, Alfie? Not saying too much. Uh, must be head of Victorian publicity, I think. <laughs> well, there you go. Tonight we're, uh, we're talking kung fu movies tonight on this segment. Settle down. We're talking kung fu movies because when I was a kid, Jerry, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was somebody else on the crew laughing at that ABC insight in in joke. Yeah, was that Annie Marva again? Just just to reference Annie Marva yet again, but didn't didn't she famously have quite a loud, distinctive laugh? Well, I'll play it again. <laughs> Hold on. What exactly do you do, Alfie? Not saying too much. Uh, must be head of Victorian publicity, I think. <laughs> talking kung fu movies tonight on this segment settle down we're talking kung fu movies because when i was a kid uh... yeah yeah that's pretty good <laughs> you know, as someone as someone who's made tv shows on a network you do get very upset when you see other shows get more publicity than you and you just get a feeling that you might be less important on the network than all the other shows ah. and the, the Late Show, you know, they are a show that's on at 10.30 at night on a Saturday night. It is very much the backwaters of the ABC and very much a low priority for any kind of publicist to kind of promote. So I doubt they were... I doubt they were getting any kind of attention at all. The only attention they would have got would have, would have been the eyeballs that were watching at the time. So they had to make their own publicity. And anything yeah, they, they got very, very famously, they got no publicity at all in their first series. Because, I, you know, I, I sort of still can't believe I actually discovered the program, you know, because it, it just got nothing at all. And then uh, suddenly they realised at the end of the first series that loads of people were watching it and talking about it. And so then they give it publicity when, when it was already famous for, for the second series. I, can, I, know, I know the exact moment I first saw The Late Show. Um, my parents used to have a tiny television. It was about, uh, about, I don't know, 10 inches, you know, like the, half the size of an iPad, a little Toshiba television. And um, my parents were watching TV on the big TV in, in the living room and I snuck in uh, to the office and stole the little television, took it into my bedroom, plugged it in, hid under the covers and was flicking through television channels and came across the late show late at night and I think I saw Graham and the Colonel that was the first thing I saw and I was like what is this magic <laughs> and from that point onwards I would I did the exact same thing st- steal the television and put it underneath my sheets so I could watch watch the late show every Saturday that's amazing that is, they must that have discovered so you were watching it because they gave you the cap yeah <laughs> but yeah they, yeah they figured it out eventually yeah I won't go into the detail of the movie, but the movie is The Armour of God with Jackie Chan. And if you want to watch it, uh, it's on SBS On Demand until June 2021. <laughs> Great. Yep. Uh, is, it, is it the original language or is it the, the English dub with the, um, with the waiter um, being compared to John Inman by Tony? <laughs> you know what? I have not watched it. 
And uh, we'll just say that it is. If it is uh, the English version, it'll be even more hilarious. Apart from, um, yeah, uh, Hello, yeah, a couple of the weird sort of things with the English dubbing, most of it is just showing these really, you know, badass fight scenes and car chase scenes. And There's a staggering shot of um, a female character being punched in both breasts simultaneously, which is... Which, you know, I suppose for me watching that, that's the equivalent of you guys watching someone get hit in the nuts, you oh. know? <laughs> me plums. Still that kind of weird, you kind of grab your chest. <laughs> oh. you, you know how painful that would be. All right, shit scared. And we have Stunt Headquarters, which is a caravan. And I'm guessing, I'm not a Melbourne person, but is this in the like outskirts of the Yarra or whatever? Or it tends to be a very popular place that area was filmed in the 90s. It looks like um, it looks like that that kind of it almost is well back then I, I remember this because we used to drive over from Adelaide to to Melbourne quite frequently and sort of before you got to Melbourne there would be this all, all these kind of acres and acres of, of what looked like basically waste ground and now it's all covered with like you know suburbs and stuff but yeah it, it kind of looks like that this one it's all about Rob filming a stunt for Phoenix the ABC series. And uh, the whole part was that he was going to be driving uh, and the car was going to explode, the drug dealer's car, and it had dynamite underneath. And so it was just Mick piss-farting about with the dynamite, being really clumsy. So you have all these random bits of, you know, you can't remember where he's buried. You're boiling! (laughs) After all these misplacements and blowing up of Rob, they actually go cut to Rob and Mick and Tommy in the studio. It's it's a pretty short um, episode of Shit Scared uh, without the studio bit. It's it's pretty much uh, Rob just uh, constantly getting blown up, um, along with a, a bloody huge flame coming out of the caravan. It's sort of <laughs> it's too it's it's too big for home video. So yeah, they they, they had to um, yeah make up a, a bit more time with Rob, uh, you know, suggesting that uh, that we should get dynamite into the hands of youngsters. The thing about this um, that really drives home for me is like how they created characters around each segment. Like you know, Rob and Mick aren't Rob and Mick from the late show they're rob and mick from shit scared and rob and mick from shit scared are are two very different characters from rob and mick (laughs) who just operate within the within the world of the late show um and i i just think it's so fascinating to kind of see how that exists in in that in that space and how it works and um and how you don't have to go about creating a whole new um character base to kind of fit in within a show like that i i i really i really loved it and it is clearly it's clearly when you see it within a whole episode that they just were hoping they could create something that that was really fun to film every week just for themselves and that's that's kind of that's kind of fun to kind of see oh yeah well they're just going to needlessly blow shit up just for fun yeah next segment is piss week marine world where you can see a live shark ride in a genuine submarine Learn how to snorkel, swim with a creepy crawly, watch the instructor go into the deep end, and all these others, which a lot of this is visual and looks like it was done in the backyard of Tommy G's pool. Yeah, and once again, what's great about seeing this in the context of an episode is that, oh, this was like a running series. There are more Piss Week worlds than I've ever, ever seen. Like, I, I, 
you know, I've seen, I, I remember watching The Late Show on television, but also the thing that has the greatest impact are the best bits. And the best bits, tapes, VHSs and DVDs, have only got one Piss Week sketch. And I was like, well, of course, like, there must be heaps more. Like, I'm excited now to go through the episode, the, the, the series, to find all the other Piss Weeks. Oh, I, I quite enjoyed um, feeding time at the goldfish tank. That That's pretty pissy. <laughs> I enjoyed the, the uh, I enjoyed the plastic bottom uh, the plastic bottom bucket. I thought that was good. Well, we've yeah, all done yeah. that. We've all done that. Uh, yeah, just... and it's it's amazing how much how many different pissy activities that are able to get out of the one uh, the one scenario. Basically, it's a good dozen or so just out of you know a, a household pool. Well, what about the uh, the precision bobbing team where Tommy just jumps right in the corner of it? I'm surprised he didn't hit himself or whack his head or anything on the edge of the pool. He did it as uh, he lived up to the name in nice precision. I really enjoyed that reference as well. Then that that this is the second reference to a precision something team this episode. <laughs> the, f- the first reference was back in the olden times when they were had the Cobb and Co <laughs> yes. uh, the the Cobb and Co precision um, driving horse, team. Driving team, yeah. And I was like, wow. And I've been thinking about it since I watched this episode. I think I watched it earlier today, but ever since then I've been thinking, whatever happened to the Holden precision team? Whatever happened to those <laughs> guys now i liked the uh, genuine sea rescue which was just a, a net picking out a toy boat from the <laughs> pool which i think is, is seeing as there's that ship stuck in the Suez canal they might actually have to get a giant net and, and that's, that's, <laughs> oh, no, that's great out. that's good yeah. that's great yeah. move to the next one which is muck raking and uh, this is all about and oh uh, this is where the teaser has come in Warwick was that uh, was that from your uh, personal vinyl collection, Matt? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> didn't yeah. didn't make the loop to CD. No, no. And uh, this is Jason McRean acting the Warwick Kappa court case, where he was accused of assaulting his estranged wife's lover. And he had Tony as Warwick, Mick as Joanne, Jace as the lover, and Santo as the field umpire. This would all make it into the best ofs. Like, I, I was watching this, trying to figure out where I'd seen it before. There's a clip of it in one of the best of compilations, but not the whole sketch. Yeah, yeah, that must have been it, because I was like, I'm, I'm sure I've seen Mick in bed like this and Tony dressed like that, but I can't work it out. Where I'd seen it before. From memory, it's it's in one of the montages near the end uh, that has uh, the the credits crawling along the bottom. To oh, near right, the end, where, okay. they, where they 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 just put these really. It's like a montage of really short clips. When I did try to reach out to Warwick in regards to this sketch, all I did every time I did give him a call, all I got was, "Hi, this is Warwick Kappa." <laughs> Remember me? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to give credit to uh, the great Richard Marsland and the get yeah R.I.P. Rich Marsland yeah. yeah I was I was wondering how, how long it would take till we got to the Capricorns yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a segment which this is a bit of a long winded uh, segment which is all about unique Australians and it's half doco half sketch really and very very dry delivered and you have Shane Ferguson. Who is Rob? Uh, no, no, no. Project Coastwatch is, is his name. Project Coastwatch. My apologies. And the government <laughs> spending $11 million on coastal surveillance 
which all goes to that one man. My favourite line out of this is is when Project Coast Watch or Shane Ferguson, as he's known, um, is asked uh, whether he, he got the job because of favouritism, and he replies, "No, I made a fine, and the government got me in." <laughs> <laughs> And this segment, so it's like it's, it's a montage of three kind of documentaries, mockumentaries. What's holding it together? Like, what is this segment about? Is it something that is it something that happens every week? I can't remember. Maybe that's taking the Mickey out of something that was shown on the ABC, or you know, when they do those four corners things, or something like that. A bit more in depth. It's like three extraordinary Australians, and it was just like three little vignettes, and that was it, and we're out. I mean, probably one of the reasons why it seems so foreign to the rest of uh, the Late Show output is that these seem to be very professionally produced, shot on actual film rather than home yeah, video. I get, I get the feeling these were like Tony Martin loved sketches. These ones were like Tony's like babies, maybe. The other vignette was Gavin Teasdale from Ballarat, which is Mick, uh, and it's all about him being in shit with Russia because he told a joke down at the pub and uh, his CIA <laughs> reports claim that there are 125 Russian ballistic missiles pointed at Australia with three aimed at his home, two at the shop where he works and one at his brother's house where he sometimes spends the night. Yeah. Now, this one is really cool because this is the first, I guess, unofficial appearance of future late show star Judith Lucy. So she, she, plays, um, she plays Gavin Teasdale's wife, and she, she only has a couple of lines. And, you know, I, I suppose unless you were very, very familiar with the live Melbourne comedy scene in 1992, you wouldn't you wouldn't really know who she is. But but yeah, obviously they saw something in that performance and, and maybe her live work as well. And they thought well, she'd be good for series two. Uh, I, I also liked uh, the uh, Mick going through the Fallout shelter and uh, <laughs> the, the seeing it full of board games and, you know, talking about how he, he couldn't uh, rent any videos because uh, the local shop only does uh, overnights and Fallout takes six weeks. Yeah. Think of the late fees. Yes. <laughs> it, it kind of reminded me quite a lot of, you know, the young ones where they're preparing their own Fallout shelter and, and they stock their Fallout shelter with, like, takeaways, like sort of burgers and stuff like this, and, and in, whereas in Gavin Teasdale's, um, Fallout shelter. There's a whole bunch of big M's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're sitting on a shelf. They're not even in a fridge. So you know, yeah. clearly he, he thinks this attack is so imminent that he doesn't have to worry about refrigerating milk. And I, th- I think it, it's worth pointing out that any similar any similarities between uh, the Fallout shelter listed here um, and the Fallout shelter in Y2 Gay. Um, are purely coincidental. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you very much for bringing up my much-loved and la- highly lauded 2011 Tropfest film, Y2 Gay. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> playing this playing this week in Korea as part of some sort of uh, 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 marriage equality event that they're having. So the Korean consulate in, in the Australian consulate in Korea reached out to me and said, hey, Dan, can we play this? And I'm like, yeah, man, go for it. Wow. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> Great. Why should guy getting an airing? Woo! <laughs> the other vignette is all about the 14-year-old uh, Brendan Heathcote of Plimmington Grammar and uh, with the school being named after its owner or its founder, Sir George Grammar. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Excellent was, job, that one. That was. And you have, oh, and Prue's not here. Oh, uh, John, John oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
John Harrison is the headmaster. And this one gets requested a lot on Facebook too, on our Late Show Facebook page, because people go, oh, where's the clip about the schoolboy being by himself just for uh, this scrap? He's been accused of being the teacher's pet, but I don't know. All right, who threw that? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Now, is that that another popular clip that's kind of done the rounds? Um, But... It's not part of a best of, is it? That scene, uh, that and the pre- and saying present in the classroom when he's by himself is the only part that's made it to the best of DVD in a clip bit montage, kind of like the Warwick Kappa thing. Along with the, there's also a clip of the the school photo again, just a solitary Jason in in a, a row of uh, a dozen or so, showing him in the class of '89 and in the class of 1990. And empty chairs in 1991 because apparently he was sick the day they had to take those photos. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's brilliant. After that, uh, we'll move on to the lounge. And Tony is talking about clapping and it's how it's encouraged by the applause light. Now, you would know about this, Dan, especially when all your TV show recordings. Uh, to be honest, I've never ever worked on a TV show with an applause light, it never exists. So, oh. uh, Ronnie Johns didn't have an applause light, uh, like Hungry Beast. Oh, we didn't have an, we didn't have an audience in Hungry Beast, Ken of Worms, we didn't have an applause light. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it I, I think it, I feel like it's an affectation from a bygone era of TV land where applause lights existed, but they don't, they don't exist anymore. Actually, I went to a recording of uh, Ronnie Johns, and I think it was season two, where it was the episode where Chopper had the fuck counter. And oh, yeah, awesome! Um, it was all natural laughs, and uh, yeah, that, that yep. was a uh, one hell of a recording. Okay, so the fuck counter. Why we had a fuck counter was the following. So the network allowed us to have something like fifteen fucks per episode, um, and they weren't. Al- they didn't allow us to have a motherfucker, and they didn't allow us to have cunts. So. <laughs> We saved up all our fucks in one episode to be used in the fuck counter. <laughs> Good. That explains a lot. <laughs> and so that that's why that sketch was written. That sketch was written to use all the fucks in one sketch. <laughs> so it's, it's only allowed uh, per episode, correct? Well, that was what the network said at the time. So there was an arbitrary rule of the network. So the network was like, you know, you guys swear a lot. Here's what, you know, please only use 15 an episode. That was just like an arbitrary rule they made up. So we're like, okay, we'll use 15. In three minutes. <laughs> wow, I've got to watch that episode again because I never thought about all the swearing earlier in the episode. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you should you should do a stock take and send it to Channel 10. But, yeah, this is all about Tony's joke being about the mystified silence light, which gets used quite a fair bit throughout this episode, <laughs> especially further on down the night. Such a, a, a great gag there. The, the, the only other thing I'll, I'll add to this is that Richard Marsland, uh, who, who we've mentioned before already, had... It wasn't an applause light. It it was an applaud light. Oh, oh right. I think I think it might have been Channel Seven in Adelaide. I think he might have gotten that as a souvenir when he did AM Adelaide. It's more of a command, isn't it? Applaud. <laughs> yes. you know, applause seems like a sort of slightly softer ask, but yeah, I I like to think that Tony Martin got to take home the mystified silence light um, as a. As <laughs> Late show. After that uh, quick little bit, uh, we have toilet break, and Jane introduces the natural seven. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. <laughs> Your final return. Your final return. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. 
I, I really enjoyed this song. I, I thought this was this was quite a good, fun sort of Broadway tune that they were doing. And I, I sort of Googled what it was. And it's from a Broadway musical from the early 70s called Seesaw, which what? was by directors of Sweet Charity. So it, it's, it's sort of the same level of quality as Sweet Charity, but I don't think did quite as well for them on Broadway. But, you know, I, I always quite enjoy The Natural Seven doing these musical theatre ones because, you know, who doesn't enjoy skin-tight outfits and bell-bottom flares and stuff and, you know, I, strange, awkward choreography? It, it's, a, it's a real treat for the eyeballs. Totally fascinating. And I totally forgot about this segment um, from watching, you know, when you watch the best bits, you kind of don't really get to enjoy the toilet break as a whole within context. And so seeing this segment within this, this episode was like, oh, wow, yeah, they just burned two and a half minutes on this song and made everybody watch it so that they could have a break yeah. from making television. <laughs> <laughs> I wait till season two where it just becomes very entertaining with the potluck stuff. Yeah, exactly. I must say I, I much prefer the potluck stuff because I remember as a very small kid watching Homesick from School and watching some of these these potlucks and how ridiculous they were. But Pity with the bells, that's what I remember. I'm I'm quite fond of these kind of slightly tacky renditions of um, various songs, so you know I'm I'm happy with it. One thing which slightly annoys me about this is the Natural Seven absolutely buggering up the timing. Sort of in the last thirty seconds or so of the song, they sort of do a slow build up to the end the way they do that it's not where you start it's they can't seem to get the, the timing right i no. don't know if i'm making sense saying no, yeah, no it's a bit off it is a bit off and, and the choreography is a bit off as well towards the end yeah. yeah they do a they do a slow down kind of deliberate can can and then it speeds back up again for no reason yeah. Next segment is commercial crime stoppers and Mick and Santo still dressed in their red hot chili peppers clothing. Uh, Santo's disappointed that he paid forty dollars, forty bucks, <laughs> red hot chili peppers. But um, when he could have watched Natural Seven for free, forty dollars. <laughs> they couldn't even sell their gum boots. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing now? Like tickets to tickets to gigs cost like three hundred bucks. You know. I just saw a spot about yeah. one uh, general admission for seventy dollars. That's just wow. like regular stuff. Far out. They play full commercials uh, in this one, but I won't play them all. I actually have them lined up. But I will play one which kind of is basically Tinder back in 1992. Tinder Life magazine is the easiest way to find a nice, genuine guy. It's safe, confidential, and costs almost nothing. You simply fill in the ad form with a few details about yourself, your likes, dislikes, and sit back and wait for the replies. Oh, not only that, the magazine's classy, has great articles and entertainment listings for singles. Advertising in single life is so much better than hanging around nightclubs. Single Life magazine, available from newsagents now. Single Life is simply brilliant. Who would have thought you'd get excited <laughs> over a magazine? <laughs> and, like, what a shit tagline. Simple, single Life, simply brilliant. There's a, another pun there that you can use, like... Just make something that's about single life. Like, single life, not for long. <laughs> you know, that's better than simply brilliant. I'm surprised that the Single Life magazine, if it you know, didn't have like a centerfold or something in it. <laughs> oh, terrible. Oh, uh, yeah, thanks. But, hey, it's better than hanging around nightclubs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's the, kind of, it's the kind of magazine you don't really want a subscription for. You just kind of want to get it once a week until you're no longer single, right? Although, mind you, that, that would be a very embarrassing trip down the newsagents. Oh, you've got the Single Life magazine and the penthouse? Thanks. <laughs> and are you single, saying you would single. put Single Life in the penthouse? <laughs> 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 oh, I 
That's exactly how I buy the Australian. I put it inside the Sydney Morning Herald. <laughs> when you find a partner, you just have to subscribe to Life magazine. Give her a badumtish. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll insert it in post. It takes a while to get in. Okay. I've got about five, six pages worth of sound effects I've got to siphon through. You've earned a I've got one. Here we go. Oh, there we go. Thanks, Dan. You're welcome. <laughs> Ah, Take there we it. go. These are all the classic irrational fear sound effects. That's right. I've got, I've got a few of them. <laughs> oh, and uh, yeah, other commercials were are about really bad acting in a uh, Pilkington Glass uh, commercial, and uh, an archive brushes ad presented by the star of The Wiz, Freddie Paris. It pumps out a sound like you wouldn't believe. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed. That was my favourite ad of the lot because it was like you had a lot going on. You had brushes for starters. You had a guy who I'd never heard of a musical from a musical that must have been big at some point, uh, and uh, and then you had technology that was completely out of date. No, I, I thought that that really was just terrific. I did look up uh, Freddie uh, Paris's CV. And where he started in the Wiz, it was actually he played Lion in the Australian stage production. Incredible! So he was like a he was a celebrity from stage in Australia. Yeah, amazing. And, and apparently he was in the film The Odd Angry Shot and uh, Celebrity Tattletales, with hosted by Ugly Dave Gray. Well, man, <laughs> what a CV! He's yeah. had a storied career. Unfortunately, he passed away in 1991, so uh, that's a bit oh. of a downer. Just a quick quick throwback to the Pilkington Clarkson's ad. Any, anyone who grew up in Adelaide at that time will probably remember that ad, you know, from, oh, no, I've broken a window. Oh, dear, oh, dear. And then she rings up Pilkington Clarkson's of Norwood. So that, I, <laughs> that was yet another South Australian classic inflicted on the whole nation. And it's just some understated guy going, uh yeah how can i help you yeah you know we yeah. did we did these with um with, with danger five guys we did these great sketches on at home alone together called essays back in business and it was when south australia was opening up after a lockdown um because everybody else was locked down so they were like kind of promoting south australia that they were being back in business and the thing is these danger five guys made these parodies of ads that look just like these ads that oh. they play <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool <laughs> All right, now we've got another sketch uh, with Better Golf with Hank Barron, and Rob is basically uh, channeling Russell Coit with this before he was Russell Coit. It's just Hank Barron being so up himself, trying to show some really bad golfing advice, really. Yeah, I've, I've kind of got the feeling that Rob uh, just fell in love with doing that really shipper American accent to, and, and talking about the grip. He also think that it was filmed at the same time when they did the golf matic from last episode? Oh, definitely, because you can see Michael Hirsch is in it um, and you can see he's wearing the golf matic outfit, that, that jumper he's got on. Yeah, he's, he's the, the angry golfer that Robbers Hank annoys, uh, you know, puts off his shot and uh, yeah, basically just wraps a five iron around his head, yeah. <laughs> I found this um, oh, Mick yes. Malloy's chonky golf, which is kind More of... Which, way. Do you remember this? Wow. It was... This was made after the Mick Malloy show was um, was cancelled and he did it with the same kind of crew and cast from, from the Mick Malloy show. So this is like 1999, 2000 roughly. But, but yeah, so this is an idea that they've kind of recycled um, again. But this, yeah, there's your shonky golf. Still with the sticker but, for the 250,000 yeah. copies returned. What I loved about this sketch was that the colour in it was so bad. Like it's it's the, the to the they've shot it so late in the day 
that uh, they've kind of run out of time to get proper light and everything is like purple and blue and the VHS recorder is not dealing with it at all. They, they sort yeah. of they deliberately made it like a sort of American style thing. So they've made it that, that kind of washed out NTSC kind of picture yeah. quality to it. Right. It's like when you're playing an American video in your v- VHS. Yeah. 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 The next bit is the the back on the stage again where Tommy G presents Academy de Music, uh, turning the most unmusical of minors into virtual virtuosos with his revolutionary Learn Through Violence program. We got we well, have Jace, Jane, Tony and Mick on stage and they do Jace first, trying to play Mary had a little oh no, was it Twinkle Twinkle Little Twinkle, Star? Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Yeah. <laughs> can substitute for a good clip around the ear. I know we didn't do it in rehearsal, but I saved it. <laughs> now, there was another line there, wasn't yeah. there? Dug my own grave, haven't I? That clip, I think, was another one that was in the compilation videos, but the sketch obviously goes on quite a lot longer than that, and you see various members of the cast um, learning to play instruments. But, you know, if Jane gets a note wrong on a recorder, she gets gassed. If Tony gets a note wrong on his guitar, he's electrified. And, and Mick has a rather terrifying violin that, that if he plays a wrong note, a kind of knife goes right out of the violin and into his neck, um, which looks pretty painful. So that, that's basically the sketch. Yeah, it's, it's one of those sketches of like, oh, wow, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing salient about this sketch. It's just, it's just being mean for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's it's a, another uh, great day at work for Aaron Bocare as well, doing you know, having to try and work out how to get a recorder to admit uh, gas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because Jane's just just sitting there going, well, standing there going, hmm, where's the gas? Oh, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then you see, you see her stand well back uh, when uh, a spark comes out of Tony's electric guitar. And there's a quick little sketch, uh, which is basically taking the piss out of the uh, Gillette commercials or little bumpers that would be on TV. I do vaguely remember these. And it is the MCG in 1991. Play on the second day of the Victoria-Tasmania Shield match is held up by uh, the replacement ball being examined. Another boring Gillette sporting moment. That's it. So that looks like (laughs) it was a Tommy G one written... Oh, just a, lo- a lovely little reference to um, uh, the Sheffield Shield, which um, yeah, if you if you if you think cricket's already a boring sport, then yeah, state cricket is uh, even more boring. Graham and the Colonel now, and making the use of the mystified silence light in this uh, bit. So they talk about spring racing, and the Colonel hopes there's no clashes like the previous race. You know, the demolition derby one. <laughs> Duffel coat supreme! Hooray! Yeah, another day! Yeah. Yep, our favourite duffel coat uh, was underestimated at the Cox Plate. Not once in 11 years did he th- throw his ride, though, and Graham corrects him saying, well, he is a Rodeo horse. <laughs> <laughs> and the Melbourne Cup. Now, this one, <laughs> this, this was just a disaster, but very, very funny. Um, Lady Colonel hasn't missed one since the war, and, yeah, and basically it's Colonel saying that she was waitressing our tables 15 to 22, so... Uh, yeah, that was a good reveal. Yeah, yeah. And Graham and the Colonel uh, used to drive the ambulance around the track. Now this one, yeah, I'm, this one was. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's pretty dark, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's dark. <laughs> it, it, I don't know whether to say it or not, but like, it's more or less 
Santo went there and Rob didn't want to go there. The, and that's the joy of Graham and the Colonel, basically. They they do just go there. Yeah. <laughs> they were accused of animal cruelty because they used to uh, put the horses in a sleeper hold. But the other one <laughs> is the more humane way, that is, that what they just did because their old way was setting fire to the tail using kerosene. Yeah. 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 But uh, I, I just love this little bit. When did you decide to throw that one in? <laughs> <laughs> That was a master decision, that yes. <laughs> Oh, how lucky I am to be here right now. I think, you know, it's really important when you're, when you're on screen and you can sense the audience isn't enjoying something, acknowledging that the audience isn't enjoying something is a really important part of bringing your audience closer to you. And I, th- I feel like that is uh, great instincts from Rob to do that. It gets them back on side. One that goes a bit off topic for the sport, uh, it's saying that, well, they're saying that it's 31st of October, midnight is tax return deadline, and so the colonel starts filling out the forms and saying, who do you want to win for the gold logie? Which, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a joy it is to watch to watch them. Um, it was a nice like I remember watching as a kid, knowing that Graham and Colonel were going to pretty much end the show, and it was nice to kind of salivate almost, kind of watching it, going, "Oh wow, this is great! This is a great button for the for an entire hour." It was, what a beautiful way to kind of end end each episode. I I really had a good time watching it. Towards the, the end, there's a there's a, a bit about uh, the local fish and chip shop uh, going up market and Santo essentially scrambling for the notes and then um, Rob uh, going, it's all on the auto queue. Just use this bit of technology we got right here. Yeah, I, <laughs> my note, I'm looking at my note, it says Graham and the Colonel, loose. That's what I wrote. I wrote loose. <laughs> very, good, very loose, yeah. That's what I should do every single time we do uh, these recaps and then just say, you know, instead of going to so much detail, just going, yeah, Graham and the Colonel, it was loose. Very loose, yeah. yeah. We have the closing, which is everyone back on the couch and Jane finds a petition in the female toilets at the ABC um, claiming that they were complaining about the hygiene in the washrooms. And it was, this was just like it was a big ribbing towards One, Mick and Mick being yeah. there. Can I say, as soon as Jane started talking, I'm like, where is the punchline about Mick signing the yeah. petition? <laughs> like, they ta- this, is, this is the most obvious punchline. It was just waiting for it, and then it came. But I think it just came a little too late. But it was coming. It was coming. He's a bit of a chick magnet. I've also got to say, it's a very ABC thing, don't you think, for there to be a petition regarding the disgraceful state of the female toilets? Perhaps, yeah. And uh, they only have time for one worst album cover, which they haven't done for a little bit, and that is Tony presenting an entry from Harold and Rodney Block uh, submitted the Battle of Jerusalem, the Six Day War. I'm uh, slightly curious about what this album actually is. I mean, is is it a kind of dramatic reconstruction of the Battle for Jerusalem? <laughs> oh, maybe. The, the what is it? The... Is, it, is it? Is it the best of radio news reports for, about the war? Because it was a real event. So what was it? The, the, well, and the, way, the way Tony describes it makes it sound like it was stuff that was recorded live live at the battleground. But, yeah, it could, well, I'm, I'm hoping it's not a souvenir rather than a, just a historical record, yeah. But, jeez, mm. it's, it's a very odd thing to have in your, in your LP collection. Not on Spotify, I just did a quick uh, search, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got it up on Discogs and it says um, it's, it, it's, it was recorded in 
Israel, but it's, it's released in the United States. It's for field recording and it's education. Oh. It's, tra- it's track listing is one on the A side, Battle for Jerusalem Six Day War Part One, and then Battle for Jerusalem Six Day War Part Two. Um, and it has a narrator. Russ Hall was the narrator, so maybe it was like a documentary, but for um, but wow. for um, for audio, yeah. I'm going to have to. So find this is this. the the audible of its day. You would have to buy these documentaries on vinyl. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. 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 All right, and then they do the audience tickets after the closing credits. And uh, But, Daniel, do you have any Easter eggs that were in the credits? Well, yeah, we had uh, quite a lot uh, of special guests uh, this episode. Most of them, I think, from um, the Piss Week World Sketch. So we had Justin Anderson, Luke Anderson, Nicholas Anderson, Duran O'Brien, Sarah Thompson. We also had Julian Clary, who was up the front, Judith Lucy, uh, who was in the Unique Australians uh, sketch, uh, Nono Santo, I'm not quite sure where he was, oh. uh, but that's mm. that's uh, Santo's uh, grandfather. And uh, Dennis Walter as himself, uh, and by special permission, John Harrison. And uh, Joanne Kappa appears courtesy of Michael Hirsch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw that, yeah. That, that, what, what was that about? Was that like a, a joke? Was that a joke? Is that a joke about? Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much every episode in the first series, there's a, a credit for Michael Hirsch, right? Um, right. Of uh, of varying degrees of hilarity. You'll see it in your VHS copies, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, one one of the things that I thought was extraordinary that I had no idea about was um, Ted Robinson being the executive producer of this. So I had absolutely no idea that Ted Robinson was running uh, the Late Show um, with Hirsch. And Ted is, of course, an extraordinary TV producer, made all sorts of things, including Good News Week, um, the Sideshow, The Glass House, uh, pretty much any kind of major TV comedy platform in the last 15 years he's been a part of. So, uh, yeah, super interesting. I was like, wow, Ted Robinson, he has like, been around since then. That's incredible. <laughs> Tommy G uh, is plugging the audience tickets, doing his best uh, Frank Spencer impression after he calls out for theatre sports. So uh, there was two <laughs> and others. And he just heard from the chairs as well. Don't forget her very good chairs. Yes, yes. Well, that ends the episode, uh, season one, episode 15. Now, this is the special part of the podcast. So if you're not bored already, and now we do have a competition for people who decide to hold on, and this is where we get people to send in their entries to record their own favourite quote from The Late Show. So this is uh, the five entries that we've got. <laughs> What's all that about? I made love to her like a tiger. G'day from uh, Dominic. How are you? Do you believe in mental telepathy? No, I hear you think. I may be ugly, but at least I'll never be as ugly as an angular Weber. <laughs> this has been going for 15 episodes now, and we've got this Peace Week prize pack as we keep adding more and more to it. So let me present to you the prize pack. So, look at your cameras, and then we've got Ripper from episode one. Oh, so, wow. Rip, Ripper vinyl. We also got the Degeneration. Oh, sorry. There we go. <laughs> Degeneration <laughs> from the Book of Aussie Heroes, which is Oh, that's finally... fantastic. How do I get a copy of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Not Thanks, Dan. Not piss week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's donated by Allison. We also have Fake Tan, the second book, not the first oh, yeah. book. <laughs> so donate Every, by Everyone's Allison. got that in there. Everyone's got that in their toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
an unopened DVD of any questions for Ben. <laughs> That's a collector's item now. Yeah, collector's item. So discontinued. And now, no one knows about this, but I have a cassette tape of Lucky Ooh. Grills. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. Hot off the R-rated. grill. R-rated. R-rated. Yes. And I've only half rewound it. So there we go. <laughs> I didn't realise Lucky Grills was a comedian. I thought he was an actor. You're going to... Hold on, let me just stop this music. There we go. You have to go into a deep dive of Lucky Grills stuff. So he was a singer. He was an entertainer, comedian, uh, before he actually decided to pop up on Bluey. So I believe Bluey was one of his first uh, serious dramatic uh, acting roles. There you go. Yeah. There's hope. There's hope. Yes. So send your <laughs> entries to champagnelateshow at gmail.com. Uh, just record them on your phone and send them through or send us a tweet at TLS Champagne. You have five more episodes left. We'll reveal the winner in episode 20. So especially if you want this Lucky Grills tape. So Fantastic. I, I will tweet the picture out. Trust me, this was hard to Matt, find. Matt, will, will you be dubbing off copies of this for, for those of us who appear on this program every week? Uh, I can make off-site copies, yeah, for uh, insurance reasons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, you know what the funny thing I, is? Look at the what it says down the bottom. Rated uh, R, R comedy, three? volume three. Oh god, so volume gonna, three. Yeah, now you got to find the two other volumes. Yes, yeah, so I've got to track these down. And on the inside it says, "Oh, here we go." Due to the success and popularity of Lucky's two previous volumes, The True Blue Aussie and Bluey Gets Blue, here is volume three, hot off the ground. And then other volumes volumes are also available from Comedy Enterprises, P.O. Box 106 Ramsgate 2217. And there's a phone. Oh, here we go. That's just down the road from me. Maybe the P.O. Box is still active. Please note, this recording is strictly for adults only. Oh, nice, Robbie <laughs> McGregor. <laughs> the following nice. program may contain nudity and traces of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you've got that now. So we're now up to five prizes for the Piss Week prize pack. So, yeah, that pretty much wraps up the show and uh, this episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Uh, I just want to say thank Thank you so much, Dan, for popping on, and we've wasted your time. I'm so sorry. You're welcome. I've got two hours and 13 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, that's what I've uh, recorded. This is a, this is the longest podcast I've ever been a part of, and I enjoy it. <laughs> and if you want to listen to a considerably shorter podcast, I have one every week. It clocks under 30 minutes. It's uh, it's called Irrational Fear. It's a fast, funny podcast about the news. It's like Q&A on crack. We drill down on climate change and savage the news, and we have special guests every week. Um, this week coming up, we've got uh, Kamal. He's going to be talking about the hazing he got on um, Hey Hate Saturday, so do tune in for that one. He just texted me during the show, actually, wanting to clarify the time. So there you go. And uh, you've, you've also got a Melbourne International Comedy Festival oh, show coming up yeah, as well. Yeah. Please do come along to that. We've sold about 70 tickets. But I, I've realised I've accidentally booked the second biggest room in the town hall. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I, not out of arrogance, I just just was in a hurry. So um, normally I would only book like a hundred seater, but I've accidentally booked like a three hundred seat room. I booked a supper room, um, but we have sold seventy tickets and there's still two weeks to go. So hopefully we'll sell at least hundred and fifty. Who knows? Maybe the two hundred people that listen to this each week will also come along. So do come along to a rational fear at the town hall. 
April 11th. It is a huge lineup. We've got Lewis Hopper from Triple J, Sammy Shah, uh, Alice Fraser, James Colley, who's the head writer of the weekly and grew and transfer. Um, and we've also got um, uh, Simon Holmes of Court. He's joining us because we want to talk to him about energy and, and climate change. And also there's one person you should absolutely be on your radar. Her name is Gabby Bolt. She's a young musical comedy TikTok star who's just about to blow up. Uh, and she just moved to Sydney like a few months ago and I got her on the 100th episode of hundred of Rational Fear. And she is going to be the next Tim Minchin. She's absolutely sensational. She's doing her only show uh, in Melbourne at our show. So come along and see, if anything, come along and see Gabby Bolt. She's like 24. She's brilliant. She's savage. She's going to like own Australian comedy in a few years' time. Yeah, I I, I agree because yeah, Gabby Bolt was a really good find, I think. And yeah, I, I would say yeah. if, if if you're looking uh, for uh, an episode to to jump in into, go for that hundredth episode of Irrational Fear. Yeah, she's uh, she was also on this week's episode as well, uh, last week's episode as well. She did a great um, parody of Benny and the Jets called uh, Jenny and the Girls, and it was just a savage song about how Scott Morrison uses the women in his life as cover for his own uh, leadership failures, and it's just absolutely brilliant parody. And I can't get it out of my head, as Gavin would say. <laughs> You're bar up, so <laughs> jeez, thank you. That's exclusive to this podcast. That bit. So thank you so much, Dan, and thank you, Daniel. Kim and Alison. Catch you next time. ChampagneComedy.com. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Thanks. See ya. See ya. Bye. You've gone out of focus again. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.